Well, hey, Gospel City, how y'all doing today? Good? Everybody good? Good to see you in the house of the Lord. Got an excited person over in the right. It's always encouraging to me. And uh, go ahead and grab your Bibles and open to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And uh, I'm just so thankful to worship with you. Aren't you thankful for Sunday mornings where you get your eyes back on the center, which is Jesus Christ, supposed to be that way all week long. And yet, you know that the enemy is attacking. And uh, we're continuing uh, where we left off last week. So last week I did part one of the weapons of the believer's warfare. And we're going to continue in that and the fun of that today. I really enjoy preaching through this text, and uh, it's so applicational to our lives. But um, Ephesians, it's really been helping us, hasn't us, uh, see that we as believers have an immense amount of blessings and wealth in Christ Jesus. And so we got to, I keep saying it, you're hopefully getting sick of me saying it, which just means that you're believing it and you're living in it. But you are wealthy if you are in Christ. You've been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, including Christ's very armor that he wore to defeat Satan, to defeat sin, to defeat the grave. And I've been thinking about it kind of all week, even this week, and just how miraculous it is that I get to dress in Christ's undefeated armor every single day. Every day as a believer, I get to clothe myself in the deeds, in the defense, and in the defeat that Christ had over sin and death. And that is an awesome thing that you need to continually remind yourself of for the battle at hand. But then not only uh, do you have an immense amount of wealth in Christ, but Ephesians also is telling us we got to pay attention to our walk in Christ Jesus. We got to walk in a manner worthy of that wealth every single day because Satan doesn't want us living out in the wealth that we have been given. And that's why Ephesians chapter six, as we've shifted into the warfare, you remember last week we talked about that word stand and the word in the Greek was stecho. And that's what believers do. Uh, You remember the analogy that this life is like a river running downstream and it's heading toward a waterfall of destruction. But when Christ made you alive, when he took you from dead in your trespasses and sins and put you in Christ Jesus, now for the rest of your days until you get to heaven, you are standing firm, resolved to not be swept into the flow of this world and it's raging against you because we are fighting an enemy that's trying to sweep us downstream. But as believers, we are moving in the strength that God supplies. We are standing firm against the schemes of the devil, everything that he throws at us. And sometimes it doesn't feel like we're moving very quickly, but we are just standing strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, amen? You can talk back to me in this service because I'm fired up. I want you to be fired up with me, okay? Amen, that's right. And so you are invincible in Christ Jesus if you are in Christ. Don't forget it. Now, the big idea that I gave you last week, and if hopefully you're just continuing in your notes, uh, here was the big idea, and we'll continue it this week. Our union with Christ has dressed us in the armor of God, but we must actively take it up every day to be who we are in Christ, So we talked about our union. When you were joined to Christ, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. So our union with Christ has already dressed us in the armor of God. That's your wealth. But you got to actively take it up every day if you're going to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. That's your walking. So you got the wealth. You need to 
pay attention to your walk, okay? Let's look at Ephesians chapter 6, and I'm just going to keep reading the whole passage over us because it's so important. Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10, let's read through 17. Here we go. Paul writes, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which, which can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So this is God's word for us as we continue today. We'll really hone in on verse 16 and 17 where we left off last week. Let me give you the points that I gave last week just as a refresher and a reminder. Hopefully you're just continuing in your notes. But point number one last week was the belt of truth readies you against the father of lies. And so we talked about girding up our loins with truth, uh, readying ourselves for the combat against a very real, very powerful enemy, and its leader is the father of lies. And we said that the belt of truth, it's not just the content that God has given us. He's given us a lot of contents that's true. Jesus is true. The word of God is true. The spirit is true. The bride of Christ is truth. But it's talking about an attitude of truth that every day as a believer, I'm gonna wake up in the attitude of humility and hypocrisy crushing attitude as I run into the combat and face the father of lies. So you gotta have the belt of truth because it holds everything together. The number two last week was the, the, the breastplate of righteousness guards your heart from sin. And we talked about Proverbs chapter four, where it says, guard your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life. How do you guard your heart with vigilance? How do you get on guard against your heart and your central nervous system, you put on the breastplate of righteousness. You pay attention to the things that God's word says are right and they guard your heart and you walk in them and the devil can't tempt you to do anything but obey what Christ has called you to obey when you are dressed in the breastplate of righteousness. And then number three, the shoes of peace embolden you to declare the good news in an evil day. The shoes of peace embolden you to declare the good news in an evil day. I love this. I've been thinking about it even more this week, how important it is to preach the gospel to yourself every single day as a believer. Don't have your gospel shoes tied in knots hanging on the shelf. Or if you were in this service last week, you saw Mr. Paul Fowle take out his knife and slice my shoes. Now, they were Pastor Brent's shoes, so I was fine. Um, but I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, but you got to get your gospel shoes on. And when the going gets tough and when the trials attack and when the enemy attacks, you don't want your gospel shoes to be tied in knots on the shelf. You want to be ready and accessible and laced up in the peace of God every single day. And then you as the believer can walk on the peace that you have with God, no matter the anxiety, no matter the stress, no matter the depression, no matter the trial that comes your way. 
And so what I want you to notice before we keep going in the armor, every piece that we've looked at thus far, they were long range preparation and protection. So the breastplate, the belt, the shoes, those were something you put on every day if you were a soldier, as, as, as Paul was probably in chains to a guard in this house on house arrest. The guard was probably wearing his shoes, his breastplate, his belt, but maybe his shield, his sword, his helmet were sitting over on the table because he wasn't in active combat in the moment. He had them ready and accessible for the battle, but you got to wake up every day and you got to put on truth, put on shoes, put on your breastplate, and then you need to have your weapons for the combat ready at all times. The same is true with God's armor. Your belt of truth readies you to be a humble, honest, hypocrisy-crushing threat to the father of lies. Your breastplate of righteousness keeps you on vigilant guard of your heart at all times. And the gospel shoes help you walk in peace against the course of this world. Now, the next pieces of armor that Paul begins to challenge us to take up are kept ready for every fight and every battle. As you stand firm in the combat against a cosmic enemy... It is necessary to have these pieces of armor for the short-range attack that Satan will undoubtedly send your way. So here's number four as we continue in this message. The shield of faith extinguishes every temptation Satan fires your way. The shield of faith extinguishes every temptation that Satan fires your way. Look at verse 16 in the text. Paul writes, in all circumstances... Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. So you're already readied with truth. You're guarding your heart with righteousness. You're walking on the peace that you have with God. That's a lot of good things. But it's the believer who is doing all of these things that will still face temptation from the evil one every single day. It's like what God said to Cain in Genesis chapter 4. When sin came into the world, God said to Cain, Cain, sin is knocking at your door. Its desires are contrary to yours, and you must rule over it. So sin was knocking at Cain's door. Sin is knocking at every one of our doors every single day, trying to get us to open it and go its way. Its desires are contrary to your desires as a believer to do what is right, to do what is holy, to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. You have to rule over the sin that's knocking at your door. How are you doing with that? How are you doing with ruling over sin in your life? All of us could probably raise a hand and say, there's some places in my life where I feel like sin is ruling me. And Christ wants to rule your life so that sin can't even get a foothold. The devil can't even get a foothold as you're following him in holiness and righteousness. And how do you rule over that sin? You take up the shield of faith. So first, let's acknowledge a couple things from verse 16. The first thing I want to acknowledge is that the enemy is indeed flinging fiery darts at you. It sounds a little bit scary, doesn't it? It sounds a little bit terrifying, frightening. Maybe you think about it uh, an awful lot. But Satan is a master marksman, okay? Satan is a master marksman. And he's hurling day and night fiery arrows at those who are believers, at the children of God. Satan bombards you with fiery arrows, okay? And uh, uh, you people are sick. I wasn't going to do that. <laughs> Pyromaniac Granger, I know. But listen, so Satan, he's a master marksman 
and he is bombarding the children of God with flaming darts, fiery arrows, flaming missiles, and these are known as temptations. Every day you wake up and you will be tempted to do what is right in the eyes of the father of lies rather than follow in the way of Christ. And so you think you're doing well, but you know what Satan says? Satan's like, oh, oh, you've been uh, clean and sober for a year. Um, Watch me place one of your old friends right in your path. Oh, oh, you've been keeping your eyes pure. You've been doing pretty good with your struggle of pornography and, and you've been keeping your eyes pure. Watch me get your eyes off of the mark and watch me get you to continually look at things that are not pleasing to God. Oh, you've been, you've been doing good in your devotional life. You've been working really hard. You've been reading your Bible every day. You've been putting Christ ever before you. Watch me get you distracted and get your mind saturated and focused on things lesser than Jesus Christ. Satan, who is scheming, who's prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he will devour, who's scheming to get you to fall, he is a master at placing temptations directly in your path so that you will fall. And Satan, he will tempt you to immorality. He will tempt you toward hatred. He will tempt you toward envy, toward anger, toward covetousness. Oh, you don't have what they have. You need what they have. Oh, you're not doing well enough in life if you don't have what they have, if you're not climbing the ladder of success just like them. He'll tempt you to pride. He'll tempt you to doubt. He'll tempt you to fear and despair and distrust. Satan's a master at placing thoughts and temptations right in our path, even when we think we're doing well because he is a master at the fiery darts. But second, I want you to notice this from Ephesians chapter six, verse 16, it says, in all circumstances. So you're gonna face circumstances if you're a believer. You're gonna face trials if you're a believer. You're gonna face temptations if you're a believer. If you're not in a trial today, praise God, but you're probably coming out of one or heading into one. That's just the reality of life, this side of heaven. If you are having a victory over sin today, Temptation is undoubtedly coming tomorrow. Be on guard. So the scripture says in all circumstances, because there are a lot of circumstances in the brokenness of this life for believers, but look at what it says. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish some of the darts, a few of the darts, how many? All the darts of the enemy. Isn't that amazing? with every circumstance, with every temptation, with all the things that Satan throws your way, with faith, you can extinguish all the darts that the enemy wants to throw at you. The, the, the success rate, the accuracy rate of the shield of faith is 100 for 100. You just have to take it up every single day for every single battle and for every temptation. Now, Paul, he calls it the shield of faith which I think is a great title for it. Let me give you a definition of faith. And I just took it from Hebrews chapter 11. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and it is the conviction of things not seen. So the assurance of what is hoped for. I can't, I hope I get to heaven. I hope I am seated with Christ in the heavenly places. I hope that I've been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And I have the assurance of that hope because of 
faith in my life that the Spirit has granted me in my heart. The conviction of things not seen. I can't see the cosmic battle. I can't see the victory that I've already won in Christ. I can't see the day that I'll bow down before the Lamb of God on his throne and say, worthy is the Lamb who was slain, but I have the conviction that I will make it there because Christ has claimed me as his own. That's faith. Faith can be hard to wrap our minds around at times, but it's through faith that we are truly saved by grace, and it's through faith that we become unshakable when all of life seems to spiral out of control. And Hebrews chapter 11 tells us a lot of examples of our faithful fathers and mothers in the past. It says, by faith, Noah constructed an ark to save his household from an incoming flood. By faith, Abraham followed God to foreign territories. By faith, Sarah conceived and bore a child, though she was past age to do so. Do you believe that God can do the impossible? Do you believe that God can work even through impossible situations? By faith, Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. That takes faith. To put your hope in what is to come and not what you can get your hands on here on this earth. But how often do we get distracted by what we see versus walking by faith in what we don't see? That takes faith. By faith, Joshua saw the walls of Jericho fall simply by marching and shouting. And get this, without faith, believer, it is impossible to please God. And without faith, it will be impossible for you to extinguish the flaming darts of temptation that Satan is going to hurl your way every single day. But by faith, just like those who have gone before us, we can stand on faith in a God who is always faithful. And the Bible tells us that even when we are faithless, our God remains faithful. And so why would we not constantly be submitting ourselves to the God of glory? Now, I told you I've been reading the Puritan William Gurnall as I'm going through this series, and he talks about uh, the kind of faith that can't extinguish uh, the flaming darts of the enemy. Here you go. It can't be historical faith. You can't have faith that's just like, ah, oh, my grandparents believed in God, so yeah, I'm a person of faith. Oh, I, I heard stories about Moses being faithful and Noah being faithful, so yeah, I'm a, I'm a person of faith. Listen, even the demons have that kind of faith. Even the demons believe and they tremble. A lot of times we say we believe and we don't tremble at the holiness of God. It can't be historical faith based on the past of people that you knew who were faithful. You can't have temporary faith, okay? In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is talking about the parable of the sower. And there are people who make professions of faith. Oh, I'm gonna follow Christ. I gave my life to Christ. I'm going to walk in a manner worthy of my calling. I'm putting the old behind and, and the new has come. You make a profession of faith, but many people's profession of faith only endures for a little while. It's like the seed that was scattered on the rocky ground. And soon your faith absolutely disappears. You say you're going to walk in a manner worthy. You say you're going to avoid the temptations. You say you're going to live a new life and that the righteousness of Christ has changed you. But rather than your faith extinguishing the fiery darts of the enemy, the darts of the enemy, the temptations actually extinguish your faith and you get sucked right back in to the river of life where you came from. That faith will not extinguish the temptation that Satan hurls at you. It also can't be a miraculous faith. William Grinnell writes this, Judas's miraculous faith 
which he used alongside the other apostles, enabled him to cast out devils from others, but left him possessed by the devils of covetousness, hypocrisy, and treason, a whole legion of lust hurled him down the hill of despair into the bottomless pit of perdition. Your faith cannot be rooted in the act that you portray. That's why you need the belt of truth, the attitude of truth, that I'm not going to try to pretend to be somebody that I'm not. I'm gonna let you into my heart and into my fallenness and into my brokenness so that we can find all things in common by the grace of Jesus Christ. I'm not gonna portray an act because that certainly will not extinguish the fiery darts of the enemy. The only kind of faith that extinguishes every arrow in all circumstances is a justifying faith. It makes you no match for the devil. Justification, the doctrine where Jesus or God declares you the sinner righteous. Uh, When you have justifying faith, you look to God just as if you've never sinned. Isn't that amazing? When justification happened in your life, God no longer looks at you and sees the sin and the brokenness and the horrible things that you've done. He looks and he sees his beloved son. And this doctrine, this truth should cause you to burst into worship every single day, knowing that you don't deserve the love that you've been given. I love that song that we sang, uh, my sins they are many, but his mercy is more. He welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor. I love those words in a song. How often do we get the word vile in a song? The only way we do is when we're talking about ourselves because that's how far we fall short of the glory of God. Praise to the Lord who has justified us and put us in Christ. May we never look to our own accomplishments but to Jesus. Galatians 2.16 says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So the enemy is incoming with fiery darts, but you're defending yourself with the shield of faith. Davin, can you come up here, my brother? You get to be the first contestant on Get Girded. Come up here, man. Here, can I pull you up? Come on up, my man. All right, so last week, we, we started somewhere last week. Here, let me, let me get you turned toward the crowd here. All right, wave high. All right, I'm not gonna put, you got, you got Crocs on, so those will be good enough shoes. You can put them in sport mode if you want. And uh, shoes apiece. All right, and then I'm not gonna gird up your loins because nobody wants to see that. But I do got the breastplate of righteousness. Can I put it on you? Yeah. All right. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right, you got the breastplate of righteousness on. And so your heart is guarded. And uh, now you're gonna take the shield of faith, okay? So this is the only shield I got. Here's a shield of faith. Go ahead, put your maybe arm through there and you hold that. And uh, this is what the believer should look like every day. As you're going into combat, the enemy's coming at you, and he's hurling fiery darts at you. Can I, can I shoot one at you? Can I shoot one at you? I just need to make the point that I need to make the point that the fiery dart's coming, but the, the shield is extinguishing all the circumstances, okay? So you, you block it. I'm a pretty good aim. Um, here we go. All right. Temptation coming in. Look at that. I mean... I mean, so, so the fiery dart comes in, the shield of faith blocks it. Now, 
you, did you feel kind of confident with that? Yeah. A little bit confident. But let me tell you something that would make it even more confident. You would be more confident. The shield, that this was often like a combat shield. The shield that they would have took into battle uh, in, in, in war in the Roman era would have been known as a gate or a door. The, the word was thurios. So a thurios shield was about this big. And you could hide your whole body behind it. Would that make you more confident from the flaming arrows? It totally would. You know what would make it even better? They would take those Thurio shields and they would soak them in water. They'd get these big wooden shields waterlogged. And you know what happens when the enemy fires flaming darts into a waterlogged shield? It extinguishes the arrow. Isn't that pretty cool? So Paul's like pulling from culture. You know what makes that even better? it gets even better. The Bible just keeps getting better. Keep studying the Bible. It, it gets better and better. Okay. The Thurio shield that's waterlogged, you didn't often carry it into the battle alone. You were actually joined to your brothers and sisters in arms as you went into the battle. So check this out on the screen. Look over here. This is known as the tortoise formation. You see that picture? The turtle, the Roman turtle. I don't know. Have you seen Mighty Ducks? I don't know if when they were like flying V, and they got in the V, I don't know if they were like tortoise formation and everybody got in it. But man, I'm telling you, if I'm hiding behind all those Thurio shields with all my brothers in arms and they're waterlogged for battle and uh, the flaming darts of the enemy can't even touch me because I'm hiding behind the tortoise formation, I'm feeling pretty confident in the battle that I'm facing, wouldn't you? And so here's the implications, Gavin. The implications are you are better in the body of Christ. Your faith is better being joined to a body of believers so that you can actually walk in a manner and, and be held accountable. Your faith is not meant to grow in isolation. Your faith has joined you to the body of Christ, your gifts shining, your abilities shining, somebody else's gifts shining. When you're down, they're speaking the gospel over you. When you're feeling faithless, their shield's holding up your shield. And as the flaming darts of the enemy come, the enemy stands no chance when we are locked and loaded in the tortoise formation in the kingdom of God. Amen. Can you get fired up about that? And so, listen, we, we need the body of Christ. And, and all of Ephesians is talking about the unity that comes whenever there's one body, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, all because we have been placed in Christ. We need our faith to help one another as we walk. That's why you got to get in a small group. I had a member come up to me after the last service and they said, dude, push small groups. If people are not in small groups, if people are not seeing men and women talking about their faith, praying for one another, holding one another accountable, your faith will grow weak. So be known in the body of Christ. This one hour on Sunday morning is not going to cut it for you. Satan will fling arrows your direction. Be joined to the body of Christ. Is that getting heavy? Kind of. One more minute. All right. Give me a minute. All right. Uh, point number five is this, the helmet of salvation protects your brain from ever believing death will win. The helmet of salvation protects your brain from ever believing that death will win. So uh, uh, no soldier was going into battle without their helmet, okay? And we wear helmets in our day and age. Uh, the military wears Kevlar helmets. Uh, SWAT team wears ballistic helmets. OSHA even requires you on a job site to wear a hard helmet. Why? Because if you get in, hit in the head by something dangerous, it's a quick route to fatality, right? And so the Roman soldiers, they would have wore a big metal helmet. Can I put this on you? 
You're going to feel so cool. Oh, yes. Look at that. Here, turn to the crowd. Hold that up. Look, look tough. Get in the battle stance. <laughs> this is what you look like if you are in Christ. <laughs> Can I shoot an arrow at your head? <laughs> I can't tell if that's a yes or no. But listen, listen, you would wear, you would wear a helmet uh, into battle because you didn't want to get decapitated. You didn't want to get stabbed in the head. You didn't want to take an arrow to the head. You didn't want to get bludgeoned in the head. That was the quickest way to lose the fight and to lose the battle. And so going into the armor behind all the brothers in arms with the Thurio shields, they had the helmet on and Paul likens the helmet to salvation in the believer's lives. Everyone give Davin a hand. Help you out there. Thanks, my brother great participation in church. And so everyone would wear the helmet into battle. And Paul, he likens this helmet to our salvation in Jesus Christ. So it should be no surprise to you, the believer, that your helmet is related to your salvation because your salvation proclaims in the face of the enemy, oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? And remember, that's what Satan's aim is. He's a God hater aiming to spread the lie that death still has its sting on the earth. But when you got your helmet of salvation on, you're proclaiming in the face of the enemy, death has no sting. The grave has no victory over me. My victory is in Christ with Jesus. So Satan's most lethal attacks are gonna be aimed at your head. He aims to decapitate your security and your assurance in Jesus Christ who is your Lord. Because Satan wants you asking, where is God? Satan wants you wondering, do I have all that I need in Christ? He wants you wondering, is there more out there for me than just Jesus? He wants you wondering, is Jesus truly the only way or is there more out there for me? And you know how Satan aims at our security and our assurance in Jesus through salvation? He does it with the double-edged sword of discouragement and doubt. And as the Roman soldiers went into battle, they were protecting themselves against the double-edged sword of the enemy. Satan's double-edged sword is discouragement and doubt. Satan will discourage you by pointing out your failures. He'll point out your sins every single day. He'll point out your unresolved problems or your unmet hopes and expectations. Oh, you haven't gotten that far in life. Oh, you don't, you're not doing as good as those people are doing. Man, I don't know if you're worthy to be a Christian. You don't seem to be having victory over that sin. Satan will point out your poor health. And some of you have had battle time and time again with back pain, with cancer treatments, with uh, sickness that you thought you were over popping back up. Did Satan cause it? I don't know, but Satan will absolutely use it to break you down and tear you down and get you feeling like you have nothing. And that's exactly what Satan wants to do. He will use any temporal issue he can to make you lose confidence in the father who loved you before the foundation of the world and adopted you as his beloved son or daughter through Christ. Satan aims to discourage you, but then he also aims to get you to doubt your salvation. He wants you to doubt God's promises he wants you to doubt God's power. He wants you to doubt God's goodness. He wants you to doubt God's truth and God's ability to save you and keep you saved. 
So listen, the believer who lacks the assurance of all that Christ has done to save them, forgive them, and make them brand new is a believer who needs to put on their helmet of salvation. And the apostle John, he wrote about it. Here's what he said in 1 John 5, 13. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Can I know that I'm saved? Can I know that I'm going to heaven? Can I know that I have wealth in Christ? Satan doesn't want you to know that you can know. But the Spirit of God can give you the assurance that you are truly in Christ and he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. How do you know that you know? You believe in the name of the Son of God. You've confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you've believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead and now you've purposed every day to walk in his direction, obeying him as Lord of all. John also said in chapter 10 of his gospel, I give them eternal life. If God gives you something, Satan can't take it from you. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. How many of you have confidence today that if you are in the grip of your father, you are in a good place? Amen. That is the place that we should stay. So these truths are the helmet of your salvation, the assurance that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And so we should stand in awe of all that God has given us as a defense against the evil one. It's Romans chapter 8. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Not trial, not tribulation, not all the circumstances, not the rulers and authorities and cosmic powers over this evil day. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So you gotta have on your helmet of salvation, but it leads us to our last and final piece of armor. Everything we've been given thus far is a defensive piece of armor. You notice that? It's your defense as the enemy's attacking you. You're probably not running into the battle with the shield and the shoes and the breastplate because you're not gonna be able to fight back. That's why he says, stand firm against the schemes. All you gotta do is stand firm and be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. When you start to be dependent on yourself, that's when things start to go wrong. But God has given us an offensive piece of weaponry and you are protected against the enemy and you have what you need to be dangerous in your fighting back. Number six is this, the sword of the spirit transforms us into sin-defeating warriors to the glory of God. The sword of the spirit transforms us into sin-defeating warriors to the glory of God. Look at verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, the Roman foot soldiers would have never gone into battle without a sword in a sheath attached to their belt. And so you are the believer. You have on the belt of truth, the attitude of truth, and strapped to your belt of truth is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. 
And the Roman soldiers, they were masters of the sword. They would have grown up around the sword. They would have been trained in the sword. And not only was it a defense mechanism for the strikes that were coming against them, but it was also an offensive weapon so that they could bludgeon the enemy, so that they could pierce their enemy or decapitate their enemy, or so that they could be dangerous as they're fighting. They felt a lot more confident running into the combat and into the battle, wielding their sword that they had studied and applied to their lives and to their fighting. I feel pretty cool holding a sword. You would too. Feels pretty great. But notice what Paul says about the sword. He says, for the Christian armor, you need to take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Isn't that awesome? The enemy's coming at you with a double-edged sword, but you've been given your own double-edged sword if you are a believer. And it is all found in the breathed out, inerrant, powerful word of God. And so I mentioned to you uh, on, on, on the week that we talked about Satan and demons and spiritual warfare, that in Matthew chapter four, Jesus is in the desert, right? And he was being tempted by Satan. We learned that Satan's not omnipresent. He can only be one place at one time. But in that instance, he was in the desert tempting Jesus himself. And he tempted Jesus three times. He tempted Jesus to make bread out of stones. He tempted Jesus to throw himself down from the pinnacle of the temple and he was tempted to bow down and worship Satan for the glory of the nations. And get this, for every temptation, for every fiery dart that Satan himself hurled at him, Jesus used the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Jesus quoted from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy to fend off the temptations coming his way. I was reading the passage this week and I noticed that even Satan used scripture in Matthew chapter four to try to tempt Jesus. So I was intrigued by that. I was thinking about that. Our enemy, Satan, he knows the Bible. Satan knows how to take your weapon that you've been given in the spirit of God and twist it out of context. And he'll even, he's so sneaky and schemy that he'll even take the very word of God and twist its context to get you to fall for his schemes, to get a foothold in your life. And before long, you're walking in your own direction saying you're doing it to the glory of God and it's actually to the glory of Satan. So the implications for us as believers, we need to know the context of the Bible we need to be on watch and on guard for any kind of teaching, any kind of scripture um, speaking that is out of context. And we need to hide God's word in our heart so that we can fend off the enemy. Jesus was our example. He knew the context. He quoted scripture back to them. Jesus had God's word hidden in his heart. So if Jesus couldn't fight off the enemy if Jesus didn't fight off temptation without the word of God, how could we get by one day without it? And one of my favorite things to do is to look through scripture and just see what God's word says about itself. Here's four passages. Psalm 119.11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Sin's been knocking at your door. Its desires are contrary to you. How are you doing at ruling over it? Well, if you're failing then you need to hide God's word in your heart. You need to store it up in your heart. You need to meditate on the word of God. You need to allow it to fire to mind every time you're tempted to go in a direction that is not in the righteousness of Christ. Proverbs 30, five through six, every word of God proves true. 
He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. You know what that says? That God's word has all that we need for life and for godliness. The law of the Lord is perfect. It's been preserved. It's been breathed out. It's been passed down. And we would be wise to pay attention to it, to protect it, and to store it up in our hearts. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 talks about it as our sword. It says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's sharper than the discouragement and the doubt that Satan's wielding against you. And it's piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit and of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And Isaiah 40 verse eight says, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God will stand forever. Amen, church. And listen, uh, I I ran into somebody uh, this week in a line somewhere and they were newer to our church and they were asking, hey, what's the history of our church? And and how long have we been here? And, uh, and they, said, they said, man, we, we've just been really surprised. We love it. We're just so surprised how biblical it is. We're so surprised that you just, all the things you say are just out of the Bible and they're kind of contrary to the culture. And I said, yeah, it's definitely what our culture needs. And she agreed. And I thought, that's awesome. But isn't, don't you scratch your head a little bit that we are surprised when the church is opening the Bible, speaking the Bible, and asking you to do and obey the Bible. Like, what is the church for? What, what did God call us out of darkness into his marvelous light for? He's given us everything that we need. We would be wise to pay attention to it. And, you know, we're coming off of, of 4th of July and, uh, and you know, a big um, celebration, four days of fireworks and booms. There were fireworks last night as I was going to sleep. Some of you have experienced that. That's the pyromania of Granger. Um, but uh, I, I, was, I heard a sermon of several months ago now, and I, I was super intrigued as the pastor was rifling off a bunch of things that past leaders in our culture, in America's culture, have said about the Bible. I just wanted to share some of them with you. Okay, listen. George Washington said, it is impossible to rightly govern the world without God and the Bible. And John Adams said, so great is my veneration of the Bible that the earlier my children begin to read it, the more confident will be my hope that they will prove useful citizens to their country and respectable members of society. Andrew Jackson said, that book serves the rock on which our republic rests. Abraham Lincoln said, I believe the Bible is the best gift God has ever given to man. All the good from the savior of the world is communicated to us through this one book. And then Woodrow Wilson said, I ask every man and woman in this audience that from this day on, they would realize that part of the destiny of America lies in its daily consumption of the word of God. I mean, isn't that awesome? <laughs> and, and if you're looking at the state of our country now, you're probably scratching your head like, where did the, the, the beauty of the word of God go? And, and obviously all of these men are not perfect men. All of these men had their own blunders. Uh, all of these men fall short of the glory of God. But there seems to have been a respect in history for the word of God seems to have been that the principles of God's word, what God's word says is commendable, was something that we aimed 
to pay attention to, and now we're aiming to lessen it, push it off the shelf, say that it's not relevant anymore, and that as culture evolves, we need to evolve with it and be more acceptable of the things that everyone's going through. And, and, and God is a loving God. He is a gracious God. He's not trying to beat us over the head with the word. He's trying to help us find that obedience brings joy in this life. So as far as America goes, you are a citizen of heaven, not a citizen of America if you are in Christ. So how do you look about, think about the word of God? How has the word of God impacted your life? Uh, if everyone in Christ is being honest, you have felt the sting of doing things your own way rather than following what God's word has said in your past. There's been times in my life where I chose to do what was right in my own eyes rather than obey and heed the commendable things of scripture. And it's let, I felt the sting of that. I felt some heartache. I felt some things go wrong in my life. I felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit heavy on my shoulders. Have you felt that sting? You have. But then I've also felt the joy of following Christ by doing things God's way. I felt the joy that comes by heeding the scriptures, heeding the word of God, walking in a manner worthy of my calling, and just simply doing what the Bible says, putting temptation far from me. It's Psalm chapter one, really. Blessed is the man who delights himself in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The Roman soldier with the sword, they would have practiced, they would have become students of the sword, they would have thought about sword fighting, they would have watched others sword fight, you know what meditating on the law of the Lord looks like? Training for battle with your sword. Spending a lot of time with your sword. Spending a lot of time understanding it, the context of it, seeking out questions about it, becoming a master of being able to just spew it off your head. And all of us are at different places and, and all of us grow in different ways, but you have the spirit of God inside of you that wants to illuminate the word of God so that you can walk and be dangerous with the sword that's been given to you. It also says, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, nor stand in the way of sinners. That's the sting that comes with doing things our way rather than wielding the sword that Christ has given us. So our union with Christ, our union in Christ has already clothed us in the mighty armor of God, but we must actively take it up every single day if we're gonna be who we are in Christ, amen? Come on, stand to your feet. Let's pray together and let's respond to Jesus Christ, our rock in which we stand. Lord, we come. Lord, I thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ who are here today. And Lord, we just acknowledge that we fall very far uh, from your glory. Lord, we acknowledge that we are the weakest, the vilest, the poorest. And yet we praise you that your mercy is more. Lord, we can get honest today in the body of Christ because we find all things in common with those who stand shoulder to shoulder with us. We can admit that we don't have it all together and that sometimes the circumstances do seem like too much to bear and sometimes our faith does feel small. But Lord, we thank you that you have joined us to a body of believers who have been justified by faith 
in Jesus Christ. And Lord, we rest not on the things that we do. We rest not on our own works. We rest not in what we bring to the table today, but we stand strong and resolved in the Lord and in the strength of his might, not by power, not by might, but by the spirit says the Lord. And so we look to you. We look to your victory, to your strength, our one defense and our righteousness. Oh God, how we need you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.